You're listening to the Warriors of Dystonia podcast, a podcast sharing the stories and journeys of people whose lives are affected by dystonia. My name is Carl and I'm the creator of Warriors of Dystonia. I've had dystonia since 2007 and I started this project to spread awareness of the condition. Each podcast will be a chat with someone who either has dystonia, cares for someone with dystonia, a representative from a dystonia charity, or perhaps a dystonia specialist. Warriors of Dystonia is all about awareness. Hey everyone, it's Carl here, and with this being the pilot podcast, I thought I would actually um, just talk a little bit myself about my own experience to give listeners a bit of an insight into um, myself and my dystonia. So prior to 2007, which is when I can sort of mark when dystonia started to creep into my life, prior to that, everything was fine. I had no underlying health issues. I was not on any sort of medication. Um, To be honest with you, I've always been somebody that's tried to avoid taking any sorts of tablets, even painkillers. I'd only ever take things as a last resort. So I was never medicated on anything, never had any accidents, no falls, no, nothing, nothing bad. Actually, tell a lie, I did have a fall when I was uh, about 17 and broke my nose and hurt my ankle. But um, that there, there was no, nothing afterwards that would um, suggest that there was any sorts of issues or anything had been triggered by, by this. So I would say that my journey with dystonia started in 2007. And... Um, it sort of came not long after the birth of my first daughter. And it was just little things, just little things. I, um, I've i always worked with computers. And so having both hands in front of me and typing, I noticed one day that I couldn't quite keep my head straight. Now, at the time, I was up a lot doing a lot of night feeds with my daughter and obviously it was a big shock to the system to suddenly have a baby in my life so a lot of this kind of weird stuff that was going on with my neck and my sort of posture I put down to not sleeping um, the new thing of carrying a baby around in one arm and trying to do everything you know with the other arm um, that was literally what I put it all down to. But as time went on, the pulling became a little bit more intrusive on my neck. So my head would sort of turn to the left. There was no pain, no other turns or pulling sensations in any other part of my body. It was literally just this slight turn that was going on. So one day I had to go to the opticians and I was having my eyes tested and the optician told me, you know, Carl, look forward. Can you keep your head still and look forward? Now, the turn was so slight that at that actual point, I didn't realize my head was turning. But the optician turned around and they said, Carl, you're um, turning your head. Can you, you know, just try and look forward? And I said, well, I 
I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm not actually turning my head. I, I can't stop it from happening. So we got the rest of my eye test done and didn't think anything more of it at that point. So a few, I'd say it was about a month or so later. Now this turning, obviously it, it didn't stop. It was always there in the background, but I still wasn't taking it serious or thinking about it as being something like, oh, I better go and get this checked. So while I was in work one day, we were having a kind of a, it was gaming day. So what we were doing was um, as like a kind of a incentive or a reward in between um clearing certain amounts of work what we would do is we would have a games tournament so we were playing the nintendo wii at the time so we we're all having fun and um we were playing mario kart and what i was finding was as i was getting more into the game you know i'm, I'm racing and i'm getting you know I, i'm trying to beat everyone i found that it was actually getting more and more difficult to turn my head and face the TV screen where the game was being played. So up to this point, yes, there was a turning sensation. However, I could stop it. I could just turn my head. But I was finding as I was playing this game, it was it was just about impossible. And at that point, the only way I could stop it was kind of, I had to, I was sitting on a table and I had to kick my legs. Um, it was really, really strange, and I remember I stopped playing the game, went back to my desk, and found, you know, got control of my head again. Carried on through the day, having little gaming sessions, and the same thing happened. Again, I was still not taking it seriously, I was still not looking into it or anything, I just thought, this is weird. And then another sort of memory that springs to mind is that off the back of becoming a new dad and, you know, becoming new parents, my wife and I didn't have many opportunities to get out. And on one of our first nights out, we went to a restaurant. And the two of us were exhausted. We were really, really tired. And as much as I love going out with my wife, and as much as I love eating in restaurants, I actually find, and I've always found social situations like that, quite uncomfortable don't know why just always have so that night I found that it was very very difficult for me to actually stop my head from turning without actually sort of propping my hands in my face you know just propping my, propping my face in my hands I should say um, so what I had actually did was I was sitting at the table with my wife she was across from me and I had to sort of put my chin in the crook of my hands and sort of talk to her and it made me look more engaged so you know it worked it, I managed to hide it um I did decide at this point then that I needed to go and see the doctors because I'd say that at this point now it was probably about six months and it was now impossible for me to control the turning in my head without actually physically jamming my head in some way in my hands or um, leaning on something. Um, there just wasn't any way around it. So I went to the doctors and talked to them a little bit. 
and they immediately jumped down the route of depression. Um, you know, I've always had an issue with sleeping. In fact, um, I'm recording this podcast right now at five o'clock in the morning, haven't been up since half past three. That's always just been the way it has been for me. I've Every job that I've had in the past, ever since I was young, they've been they've required me to get up at say four five o'clock in the morning to actually do different cleaning jobs and things like that also it's just in my family we don't sleep very often so when i was speaking to the doctor and the doctor said to me you know are you getting enough sleep well no i i really wasn't getting enough sleep and especially thrown into the mix of having a child so I had to then fill in all these documentation about, you know, uh, my own self-worth, what I thought of life, um, how I felt in general. You know, um, I was a new dad, not getting much sleep. We weren't getting out as much as we used to. Um, my job was fine it did what it needed to do but you know i wasn't overall super happy with it so you know it, it all started to look like some sort of depression or anxiety so i accepted that perhaps i needed to do some sort of mindfulness you know um and i did look into different books around how i could energize myself and feel a little bit better and it was strange because, to be honest with you, I didn't really feel unhappy or depressed. I just kind of hoped that, you know, that the doctor was right on this, that, that I was unhappy. At the time, I was offered medication and I said no. Um, I've tried to avoid meds all my life, so I, I didn't really want to become dependent on something like that. There were people in my life that had been taking medication for either depression or anxiety and had become quite dependent on it. Now, don't get me wrong, I really do believe that medication can really, really, it, 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 it does help people. <laughs> there's no doubt in that. You know, there's no question in that whatsoever. However, I've always maintained and been able to continue with my life with only using painkillers or using any sort of antibiotics when I really need them. Um, and I just, I didn't feel, like I said, that I was depressed or anxious. I just hoped that the doctor was right and that maybe the mindfulness would help me. Long story short, it didn't. Um, I, I became a bit frustrated because the turn and sensation was getting worse and worse. And it was at this point that I had discovered, you know, that I didn't need to really rest my chin in my hands. I could literally just touch my face or I just put my hand to the back of my head. And this, for whatever strange reason, would stop my head turning. I'd also noticed at this point as well that when I looked in the mirror and I looked at my neck, I could see the muscle coming up the right-hand side of my throat and that it was always tense, you know, and it, it was always just do whatever it was doing so again i'm like well that's that's not depression that's that's a definite thing i can see happening there you know and i know depression can trigger a lot of physical things but i <laughs> i was really feeling happy you know i was a new dad i always wanted to be a dad 
um, everything you know was was great there so I decided to try again went to the doctors and said look I don't feel depressed I don't feel like I've got anxiety to the degree that it causes my neck to turn I'm anxious because I don't know why my neck is turning I'm a little bit anxious because that's just me as a person however you know at this point now I'm in my twen late 20s and I'm I, I, I'm fit um, I've been looking after myself I, I don't understand what is going on so the doctor then suggested that I go to some sort of physiotherapy um, so I went to the physiotherapist and to be honest with you, to put it blunt, they were utter shit. They were useless. Uh, I was in the waiting room for about half an hour before I was taken into a room where this woman sort of looked at me, talked over me, and when I tried to explain what was going on, they gave me, she gave me a photocopy of some neck exercises, right? And it was on a sheet of paper which had been photocopied so many times, you know, a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. So many times I could not make out a single thing that was being described in this little booklet. It, it just, it was just useless. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I tried the exercises and, you know, it did nothing. And I think... Perhaps if I was in pain, which I wasn't, and touch wood I've not suffered too badly with, perhaps if I was in pain it would have helped maybe strengthen things or maybe helped me in that way, but it did nothing. My head was turning more than ever. It was it was just pulling just exactly the same as it always had pulled. So I I I just knocked that on the head. I I just stopped. I thought, you know what? I will just plod on, you know, doctors don't know what they're talking about. Physiotherapist was a waste of time. So at this point, I'd completely lost faith in everything. My wife and I were on our way to work one morning and my neck was pulling really, really hard. And I really, at the time, was not enjoying my job. It had become particularly stressful. I'd been promoted. I was... A, I was a manager and I was now becoming the next stage up. I was becoming a, a business manager. And I really, I was really, really struggling, really struggling. And as we were walking to work, my neck was pulling more than ever and it was hurting. And I started crying. I just, I, I remember at this point now, it had been about two years and I was going mad. I was like, I don't know why this is happening. What to do? The doctors can't help me. I don't know what it's called. And yeah, I was just, I was feeling really, really awful. So I went online and did a bit of a sort of Google search. I, I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I just randomly typed in involuntary head pull turny neck, something like that. And I seen this term dystonia come up. So I was like, okay, interesting. Let's have a little look more into that. So then I discovered a term then called cervical dystonia. And I would say if there were 10 boxes to tick, nine of the boxes were ticked when it came 
to describing, you know, my own experience with my neck versus what cervical dystonia was. The only thing that was sort of slightly different with mine was the pain wasn't quite as severe as, you know, what was noted um, in the description. I went to the doctors after setting an appointment up and told them that I'd looked online and I had found this thing, you know, dystonia. The doctor turned around and said, no, you haven't got dystonia because if you had dystonia, you wouldn't be able to walk properly or your arm would be twisted or... And I kind of frowned. I was like, what are you talking about? Because at this point, I had been looking at lots of different descriptions about cervical dystonia. Um, and I remember being really frustrated. And I said, look, you've, you've got a computer behind you. Can you just type in cervical dystonia and then look at my medical records? Because, you know, they, they'd have documented all of the things that I had said from my previous visits. And I remember the doctor turned around typed it up, looked at it, and sort of looked at me and went, I'm going to refer you to a neurologist. Um, you know, from what you're saying and from what's here, you're right. You know, it, it does look like a form of dystonia. Well, it actually took about another two years before I finally saw a neur neurologist about the condition. And I didn't actually have any sort of an MRI or any sort of scan or anything like that. When I did see the neurologist, we um, ran through a number of motion tests. Um, you know, uh, they told me to not touch my chin and just let my head do what it needed to do. And um, I gave a load of blood. And yeah, basically, I was finally diagnosed with having cervical dystonia. At the time of being diagnosed then I was I, I, I had an understanding that this was for life there was no getting rid of this I, I was going to have this condition for the rest of my life so when the doctor or neurologist was talking to me I could tell that as he was talking me through this he was telling me in a way of you know offering me some sort of grievance counseling and I turned around and I said to him, look, you know, I understand that this is it. This is this is the way it's going to be now. And, um, you know, he, he taught me then through some of my options. So we talked about Botox and we talked about um, different tablets that I could take, which would, you know, make adjustments to the muscle movements. But we also talked a lot about the side effects. And looking at the way that my neck was turning and how much impact it was having for me at that point the side effects actually they were counterintuitive to for, for me and my condition you know and and for my way of life i said that um i would prefer to just continue coming for regular checks you know every um every year but I didn't feel that I needed to take any sort of tablets or um, have any Botox injections. I think one of my concerns with the tablets was that from my job, I need to be very on the ball. And also I um, needed to be fully functioning to be there for my, for my daughter and my children. Um, I've, I've always been the more paternal maternal one in our um, 
relationship in our house. So I needed to make sure that I was fully on the ball for my for my girls and for my family, you know, to look after them whilst being able to work too. And you know, I I appreciate that and I'm happy that I've got that way that I can actually do that, that I can actually still function and um, do what's necessary without taking the medication. So the neurologist said to me, you know, it's it's your decision. It's, it's absolutely fine, you know, and carry on, basically. So these days, my dystonia is completely under my control. Over the years, what I've done is I've maintained a routine of ensuring that I'm as active as I can be. I find that if I was to sort of sit and do nothing and think about my dystonia, my dystonia is much worse. I still obviously find typing with two hands can be incredibly awkward because my head is very interested in seeing what's going on to the left of me. I've developed trembles. I will get occasions where I'm very shaky. My, my head does not stay still anymore. It just, as well as the turning, it, it will shake. And obviously this is, I say obviously, <laughs> for people that are listening that don't know anything about dystonia, it is exasperated and made much worse when um, tired, stressed or uncomfortable. Some of the things that I've discovered along the way on my journey, as well as the sort of touching the back of my head and touching my chin, alcohol seems to help. Now, I'm not saying that I'm an alcoholic and that I drink all the time, but for whatever reason, I can have maybe one tin of beer and it will completely stop all of the pulling sensation in my neck and I have 100% control of my neck. There can be the odd time where this does not work and it's actually worse. But what I can guarantee is every single time, if I was to binge drink or if I was to drink enough to give me a hangover, my hangover the next day is is awful in that my neck is fully pulling, my shaking is uncontrollable and it can also come down my left arm. That's something else that can happen as well when I'm particularly stressed or I'm particularly uncomfortable. I will get the shakes going down my left arm and I do have some horrible sensations in my fingers and my shoulders. My best days are literally just pull pulling sensations. I don't have pain. I'm very lucky in that way that I don't have pain. I have found that the uncomfortableness and the sort of twisty sensation is a lot less these days and that I put down to I'm fortunate enough that I can exercise fully with weights. I do punching exercises. I do a lot of boxing. I do a lot of running and I've really strengthened my core. I genuinely think that this is this has been able to help me. And, you know, and I understand that I'm fortunate enough to be able to do this. I want to talk a little bit about why I started Warriors of Dystonia and this project in general. Now, personally, what I have done every year for the past five, six years, maybe even longer, is I've always tried to look at ways of giving money to charity. 
Um, I've done different things for um, different cancer charities and homeless charities and some other um, charities in the past. And 2020 was a nice number, you know, nice fresh year to come into. And I thought, I really want to get some charity work done again this year, but I didn't know who to work with. And I think towards the end of the year, towards the end of 2019 or the start of this year, I was on a flight home from Wales and as I was going through airport security, there had been this issue where I had to walk through one of those machines where you have to stand still. And now I'm very nervous in airports. Um, they're just not comfortable. And, you know, it's it's that situation where if a security guard is following you or if you see a security guard and think they're following you, you can't help but act so suspicious. And it's the same thing with um, airports for me. I cannot help but walk through an airport as if I'm about to try and blow it up. I've got no intentions of blowing an airport up, but I can't help but have this air about me. And so going through one of these body check machines, you know, I'm like, oh God, you know, and then I'm starting to think, have I got something on me that I forgot about? Have I got a pair of scissors or something? Or Anyway, I had to go through this machine and I could not keep my head still. And the person, the security guy kept going, keep your head still. Can you stay still? So I turned around and rather than say, I've got dystonia, I said, I've got Parkinson's. Because the problem with dystonia is nobody has a clue. Nobody knows about it. So I I said to the guy, I got Parkinson's, I can't stay still. And do you know what he said? He just turned around and went, oh, well, that explains all the twitching and moving then. No compassion, no empathy, nothing. Now, at this point, I had been sort of thinking a little bit about doing something with dystonia, but this solidified it for me. You know, I was like, something needs to be done. You know, even my own friends and my own social circle don't really know much at all about the condition. So the fact that I've even by some of my best friends, despite me pointing out how difficult my condition is and how exhausting it can be to stop, you know, my head from turning from time to time, have put me in some very, very awkward situations. Um public speaking and things like that. And that was heartbreaking. It's been heartbreaking, you know, and there's been other situations where I've just been, you know, it's affected my work life, um, delivering sort of public speaking within work and things like that. And I've always managed to find a way around it, whether it be through copious amounts of alcohol, which perhaps at the time I've not wanted to do, but felt like I've had no choice. Um, or to the point that I've collapsed twice through exhaustion and fear of having to talk in a, or in a situation where I'm uncomfortable, where everyone's going to be looking at me. So at this point, I thought, so I, I, I want to do something about this. People need to know about it. They need to know more about my story. They need to know more about dystonia. And I wanted to do something for people that have dystonia to know that they're not alone, you know, to know that there are other people out there that are facing the same sort of battles as them. I 
started to join a number of Facebook groups then early this year, 2020, and started just 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 sort of hanging about and seeing what people were saying and seeing the sorts of things that were being raised. And it solidified the idea in my head that what I needed to do was perhaps put a book together. I've, I've self-published a number of books under multiple different names. I usually write horror stories, but tongue-in-cheek horror and comedy. I'm, uh, I like... I like a lot of dark comedy. Um, inappropriate comedy would probably be the best way of um, labeling it, um, hence using different names because, um, yeah, I just, some people might read what I say and uh, misconstrue it. So um, get the wrong idea that I'm trying to be sort of edgy. <laughs> but that's enough about that. So anyway, I decided that what I would do is use my prior knowledge of self-publishing and putting books together and compile something which was written by people that have dystonia to educate their friends and family and my own friends and family and to educate each other as well. Before I started this journey, I didn't realize how serious and how much dystonia can affect can affect people it's a terrible condition terrible condition um, I was aware that there would be perhaps different forms of you know muscles contracting and things like that but to read of people losing vision unable to swallow unable to breathe can't eat can't move can't type you know the list is endless what this condition can do to people and I need people and we need people to be aware of how much this condition can, can affect people. But not only that, the battles and the triumphs from these people, you know, from all of the people that are going through this, from all of us that are dealing with this, the way that we manage to cope, not all of the battles and not all of the stories have happy endings, but that's again, adds to the awareness it's tough, it's very difficult, it's soul-destroying for many people. And we need people to be aware of this. We need more people to know about it. And this is the crux of my whole project. So I started the project then early this year. I started reaching out to different groups and asking whether they, you know, people would like to share their story. And I genuinely didn't think I would get much of a response to the point that I was so nervous, I turned off all of my Facebook notifications and pretty much put my mobile away. I was like, I, I, I would, otherwise I would keep looking at my mobile, getting more and more unhappy throughout the day, thinking nobody wants to be part of this. You know, nobody's, nobody wants to share their story. The end of that first day, I saw that I was completely wrong. There was lots of interest, lots and lots of interest. And Although in mind I had a deadline of October for when I would stop people being able to submit their stories for this project, I ended up I had to stop it in August and perhaps maybe should have done it a bit earlier because now at this current moment I'm sitting on more than 350, 400 pages of unedited text and that's before I format it, space it out, put my own findings and things like that into the book. 
and that's the amount of text that I'm sitting on right now. So it shows that there are people out there passionate about getting that awareness as well. And I, I was, I was completely blown away by the people that had got in touch. As I started to think a little bit more about the book and what I was planning on doing next, it seemed almost inappropriate for me to just stop then to create this book, release this book, which let me just point out here, every single bit of money that's made beyond publishing costs, 100% goes to Dystonia Charity. It goes to the Dystonia Medical Research Foundation and the Dystonia Society, split 50-50 between the two. Um, yeah, once I had started to think about what was next, I thought, no, I, I, I can't just stop there. What about, you know, these podcasts? What about, you know, that there's going to have been people that perhaps couldn't have written or have got mobility issues that can't write. Perhaps it's people that were too afraid to maybe write their story and share it with me in that way. You know, it's a lot of people that had written to me concerned about English and grammar and things like that. I managed to sort of get across it's that that's for me to worry about i i would i'm going to go through and i'm going to fix and make adjustments and you know ensure that it's it's as as correct as i can make it um so the podcast was my idea to continue with spreading awareness and getting stories out there and whether this is successful i'm i'm in the same place right now that i was when i first started looking for interest in the book i don't know how many episodes of this i'm going to do um how many i'll do per month per year but i'm hoping that you know that we can use this as a platform to spread awareness you know to turn around and say hey look um i did a podcast the other day i was on a podcast with carl and I told my story, here's a link to it, and we can spread more awareness. So, if you are listening right now and you have dystonia, your life is affected by dystonia in some way, or you even, if you care for someone with dystonia, and you'd like to come onto this podcast and just have a chat with me, um, we can keep it as informal, as relaxed as, as possible, please get in touch with me. Okay, there's a, um, I've got a website called warriorsofdystonia.wordpress.com or if you look at Warriors of Dystonia on either Instagram, Facebook, you'll find me there too. Just, just send me a message and I can set something up anywhere in the world. It's fine. We can work around those time zones. As, as I've mentioned earlier on, I don't sleep much, so <laughs> I can, I can fit you in any time of the day, but, um, Anyway, I hope that this gives a nice insight into my own personal journey with dystonia. And um, please, please feel free to get in touch. Take care. <laughs>